Voices for Justice is a podcast that uses adult language and discusses sensitive and potentially triggering topics, including violence, abuse, and murder. This podcast may not be appropriate for younger audiences. All parties are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Some names have been changed or omitted per their request or for safety purposes. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Sarah Turney, and this is Voices for Justice. Today, I am discussing the case of Asia Degree from Shelby, North Carolina. Asia was only nine years old when she packed a bag and left her house in the middle of the night during a rainstorm in the year 2000. Her case has stumped investigators for years as it defies all runaway statistics, but her parents still hold out hope that she could be alive. Well, she is the type of child that would give you the shirt off her back. She never wanted anybody mad at her for anything. She wanted everybody to be uh, her friend. She wanted to everybody to be happy. After 20 years, I still believe my daughter is alive. I do not believe she's dead. And I know somebody knows something. I'm not crazy enough to think that a nine-year-old can disappear into thin air. This case is over 20 years old, and authorities are still releasing information and asking the public for help. So let's get into it. Aisha Degree was born on August 5, 1990, in Shelby, North Carolina, to her parents Aquila and Harold. She is their second child, as Aisha does have a brother that is about a year older than her, named O'Brien. Chances are, if you've seen a big National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's poster with a bunch of pictures of missing kids on it, you've probably seen Aisha's picture. And Aisha was an adorable little girl. She was also an excellent student who loved hanging out with her cousins, playing on her basketball team, riding her bike, and jumping on the trampoline. She was extremely polite and respected her parents' rules very, very much. Her aunt on her father's side, Patricia Banks, told a Charlotte reporter, quote, She doesn't even open the door for me without getting her mother's permission, and I'm her aunt. End quote. Like most kids, Aisha had some fears, particularly of the dark, dogs, and rainstorms, which will be important to remember as we get further into the case. By the year 2000, the year that Aisha went missing, she was 9 years old and her brother O'Brien was 10. Their father Harold worked as a dock loader at PPG Industries in Shelby, and Aquila worked at Kauai American Manufacturing, though some reports do discuss Harold having a second job as well. With both parents working, Aisha and O'Brien were pretty independent kids who knew how to take care of themselves. From what I could gather, it sounds like they were very much what most people would consider to be latchkey kids. They'd come home after school, and if a parent wasn't there, they knew what to do. They knew to do their homework, how to make a little bit of food, and basically just how to stay safe until their parents got home. In my research, I often came across the topic of these parents possibly being too strict on their kids, and that the kids maybe lived really sheltered lives but I couldn't find anything to strongly indicate that. A lot of people would point to the fact that they didn't have a home computer, but this is the year 2000. I can tell you personally, my family didn't get a computer until like 1999 or 2000. It's not like we had it for years and years. It just wasn't a staple in every single household. 
In fact, I did some digging, and in 2000, only 51% of households in America owned a computer. It's just something that came up so frequently that I felt like I needed to mention it in this podcast. To me, it looked like Aquila and Harold were pretty hardworking and just trying to provide a good life for their kids. So I'm hesitant to say that because they didn't own a home computer, because they went to church, played mostly with their cousins, and were encouraged to do well in school, that their parents were crazy strict on them. I mean, it's entirely possible that they were, but we just don't know. The days leading up to Aisha's disappearance seemed pretty normal. That Saturday, both Aisha and her brother O'Brien had basketball games. Aisha was fouled out, and her team ended up breaking their winning streak, losing by just one point. Of course, she was definitely upset about this, but not any more upset than any other kid losing a basketball game would be. In fact, by the time that her brother's game was over with, her parents say that she was pretty much back to normal, and she seemed happy playing with the other kids. That night, she even went to a sleepover with about a dozen of her cousins. This sleepover was hosted by 15-year-old Katina Degree. Katina and Aisha's other cousins would report that Aisha was her normal, happy self, playing with the other kids and particularly enjoying a little bit of dancing. These cousins would eventually be a part of the search party for Aisha less than 48 hours later. Sunday, February 13th was a pretty normal Sunday for the family. They went to church, had dinner at their aunt's house, and then Harold went to work the night shift while Aquila, Aisha, and O'Brien spent the rest of the day at home. Accounts about what happened on the night slash morning that Aisha went missing do kind of differ slightly in terms of time and Harold's movements. For the purposes of this podcast, I'm going to go with the account that was initially reported on back in 2000 through a series of newspaper articles, primarily from the Charlotte Observer. If you really want to go down the rabbit hole on this one, there are a ton of forums and threads that talk about all sorts of crazy things. But I am super picky about my resources, so I won't be discussing anything that doesn't come from what I consider to be a credible source. So if you go to Reddit, you will see a ton of things that won't be mentioned in this podcast because I simply can't track down credible sources for the majority of the claims. But let's get back to the night of February 13th. Aisha was apparently still pretty tired from staying up late at the sleepover because she ends up going to bed at about 6.30. On this night, there was a huge rainstorm. And around 8.30, the lightning and thunder from the storm woke Aisha up and scared her. So she goes to the den and watches TV with her family for a while before going back to bed around 9. Harold gets home at about 12.30 on now Monday, February 14th. He stays up for a bit watching TV and just kind of winding down from the day. Around 2.30, he does finally go to bed, checking on Aisha and O'Brien before he does. And everything seemed normal. Both kids were seemingly fast asleep in their beds. But it does appear that Aisha may not have actually been asleep or at some point gets woken up again. Because not long after Harold checks on the kids, O'Brien would hear Aisha get up and a few minutes later he would hear her bed creak. Authorities and Aisha's family do believe that she packed a bag with the intent to leave her home. Detective Adams from the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office commented on this, stating, quote, Apparently she packed her bag prior to leaving, but the contents, from what we can tell, looked like something a child would pack, rather than her parents preparing her for an overnight stay. End quote. It appears that the items that Aisha took with her included the clothes that she was wearing from the day before. 
which was a white t-shirt with purple lettering that was made specifically for a degree family reunion, blue jeans, and white tennis shoes. She also took a second outfit her parents would identify as one of her favorites and a black purse with Tweety Bird on it. However, they believe that she didn't take any type of coat or jacket despite it pouring rain outside. By going back through newspaper articles from the time Aisha went missing, I was able to put together what most likely happened next. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by Quince. The weather is getting warmer, which means it's time to put away all the sweaters and pants and say hello to shorts and t-shirts. I absolutely was looking to update my wardrobe without spending a fortune, and I went right back to Quince for that. I personally don't love trendy clothes that I have to replace every few months. I am looking to build my solid core collection of essentials, and with the huge selection at Quince, I can do that. They have premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from 30 bucks, washable silk tops, they have jewelry, and so much more. One thing I really love about Quince too is that they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. And they only use premium fabrics and finishes, so you're not cutting any corners when it comes to quality. I've really been trying to play with pairing casual with more upscale pieces. So recently I just matched a silk skirt with this black tee that I just love and fits really, really well. I think it came together pretty cute. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com justice for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot justice to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com justice. First, she walks to Highway 18, which is about a block from her home on Oak Crest Street. From here, she starts walking south down this highway, and about a mile into her walk between 3.30 and 4 a.m., she is spotted by two different motorists at the bottom of a hill, one of which does actually turn around to see, you know, what the heck this nine-year-old is doing walking on the highway so early in the morning during a complete torrential downpour. But unfortunately, this seems to spook Asia, who runs into a wooded area and possibly into an old shed. I want to set the scene here. In order for Aisha to get to this shed, she would have had to walk the length of two football fields uphill and crossed a three-foot deep gully. There was a light outside of the shed that may have helped her find it, but I was really shocked when I read how hard it would have been for Aisha to get to this shed. When I first heard this case, I always imagined that she walked just like a few feet into the woods and found the shed for shelter. But again, this is a nine-year-old in the middle of a rainstorm who is walking uphill in the presumably muddy terrain and across a gully that is almost as tall as she is to get to this shed. It makes me wonder if she really did go to this shed, if she knew where she was going, or if she just saw the light from a crazy distance and was trying to take shelter from the storm. Ultimately, no one really knows. And we can't actually confirm that Aisha was in the shed, which we will get to. But we do know that the shed was filled with farming equipment that the owners of a shop named Turner's Upholstery stored there. We also know that the shed had no door, so it would have been easily accessible to anyone, including Aisha. Another really interesting thing to note here is that neighbor Reverend Mackie Turner said that he kept his six beagles in a lot behind this shed, and according to him, 
quote, they bark if they see anybody, but I didn't hear a thing, end quote. And remember, Aisha was afraid of dogs, the dark, and rainstorms. So it makes me wonder what her motivation was to be so brave to go on this trip, to go to this shed so close to six dogs. Of course, Aquila, Harold, and O'Brien have no idea any of this is happening. I was actually able to find an amazing interview with Aquila describing exactly what happens next. This comes from a Jet Magazine article titled Missing and Black, What Happened to Asia Degree? In this interview, Aquila tells the reporter, quote, I woke up on February 14th, 2000 at 5.45 a.m. The alarm went off for my children to go to school at 6.30 a.m. I went to the bathroom, two feet away from the door, to start the bathwater because they could not take a bath the night before because we had a power outage. I opened their bedroom door. My son O'Brien was under the covers like he usually slept. I called his name and he jumped up as usual. I realized that Aisha was not in her bed. I looked beside his bed because sometimes she would get up at night and lay there. I asked him where she was. He didn't know. I checked the couch. I checked downstairs. I checked the kitchen. I checked every closet in the house. I went in my room and put on clothes and told my husband Harold that Aisha was not in the house. I checked our cars. She was not there. My husband said that maybe she was at my mother-in-law's home. She lives across the road. We called my sister-in-law's house. She was not there. That's when I went into panic mode. I heard a car next door. I did not have shoes on. I put shoes on and ran outside. I called my mom and told her that Aisha was not in the house. She told me to hang up and call the police. I threw the phone at Harold and went outside. By 6.40 a.m., the first police officer came and we started telling them what we woke up to. About two to three minutes later, the sheriff was there, and more police officers were in the house. They asked for pictures. The sheriff called for a canine unit, but they couldn't find anything but my scent. By that time, every neighbor on my street was up because I was walking up and down the road screaming my child's name. By seven o'clock, we had every cop in the county here. Every news reporter had shown up. Five or six local news channels were here. Local papers. By the time seven o'clock came, it was plastered all over the television. End quote. They also noticed that Aisha's bed did appear to have been slept in, and she didn't make her bed like she always did after she woke up. And of course, they quickly noticed the items missing from her room that I mentioned before. It's also important to note that both doors to the house were found locked that morning. Like I mentioned previously, Aisha did have a key to the house, and she kept this key in her backpack. But I can't understand why she would lock the door behind her if she planned on being gone longer than a few hours, as is indicated with her bringing so many outfits. Like, who cares? Her parents would know that she was gone, that she packed a bag, and that she left. So why take this extra step of locking the door if you weren't trying to hide the fact that you're gone? Like, I can see her locking the door behind her to cover her tracks if she planned on being gone for like an hour or two and getting back to the house before everyone woke up, but that seems pretty advanced for her age. What does a nine-year-old do without supervision at three or four in the morning outside of their home? Also, did she have an alarm clock that her brother wouldn't have heard? Or did she wake up in the middle of the night and decide to leave? 
One of many unfortunate things in this case is that although North Carolina was about two years away from officially adopting the Amber Alert system, they did actually launch a pilot of this program right around the time that Asia went missing. But from what I could find in my research, it looks like it was only being practiced in some of the surrounding counties, like Moore, Harnett, and Lee counties. So there was no Amber Alert, but there was a statewide bulletin put out for her. Like Aquila mentioned, to the credit of the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, they were on this right away. There was a full-scale search immediately. By noon, they called in help from a North Carolina Highway Patrol helicopter that had infrared technology. They also taped off Asia's house as a crime scene, interviewed staff at her school, her family, and people in the neighborhood. Around 60 volunteers from the surrounding fire departments, the Red Cross, and the community met up to search for Asia. The nearby Moles Memorial Baptist Church was actually converted into a temporary command center to help organize all of these volunteers searching the area. But after eight hours of searching, the sun began to set and the search was called off for the night. One of the many things that breaks my heart in this case is that February 14th was of course Valentine's Day, but it was also Harold and Aquila's 12th wedding anniversary. But instead of spending it celebrating their love and their two children from this marriage, they spent it searching and worried sick about their missing daughter. We actually saw the same thing in the Jody Locornu case who was killed on her parents' wedding anniversary. It just feels like some cruel joke from the universe. Like of all the days, it had to be the day that they should be celebrating their love and their children that they now mourn on these days. Authorities pretty much came out and said right away that they suspected foul play. They also made it clear that the parents were 100% cooperative and there appeared to be no issues in the home. Eventually, Aquila and Harold would both take and pass polygraph tests as well. The day after Aisha vanished, there were some pretty promising clues found in that shed that I mentioned earlier. Which, of course, is why many people believe that Aisha took shelter from the storm there. The owner of the shed found candy wrappers, a hair bow, a pen, and a pencil that authorities would later confirm belonged to Aisha. But they also find something else, something that I haven't seen to be confirmed as Asia's. And this was a school photo of another young African-American girl that looks to be around the same age as Asia. When authorities showed this picture to Asia's family and officials at her school, no one could identify this girl. And as far as I know, the girl in the picture still hasn't been identified to this day. It is also important to note that there was no blood or sign of a struggle found in the shed. This, of course, sparked a huge search effort in the area surrounding the shed. There were hundreds of members of law enforcement and the community searching for any trace of Asia, but the trail seems to end at this shed. Sheriff Deputy Bob Roadcap would tell the Charlotte Observer, quote, It's like she stepped off the face of the earth. Nobody has been able to place her beyond that spot, end quote. On Friday, the Cleveland County Sheriff's Department did receive a tip that Asia was walking along the railroad tracks along Highway 180 that does connect to Highway 18 where Asia was last seen. 
Aisha's mother was actually rushed to the hospital because she could barely breathe after finding out this news. But the sighting ultimately couldn't be verified to be Aisha. By Saturday, a group of 500 people came together to look for Aisha. On this day, they actually did find two small footprints 15 feet apart near the area where the sighting of Aisha along the train tracks came in. But they weren't able to find any type of trail, just the two prints. And as far as I know, they were never able to confirm that they were definitely Aisha's prints. On Sunday, February 20th, six days after Aisha went missing, the search was called off by authorities. This episode of Voices for Justice is brought to you by June's Journey. I'm pretty sure everyone here loves a good mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey. You get to step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. You engage your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. So what does that mean? Well, June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. Essentially, you find hidden clues and uncover this mystery. But it's also more than that. You can customize your own luxurious estate island, you can join a detective club, and put your skills to the test in a detective league. I like that you can play totally alone, or if you want to play with other people, you can do that too. I find myself playing June's Journey in little breaks during the day, or most frequently at night before I go to bed. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just looking for an escape, I really do recommend June's Journey. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Aisha's case gained a lot of media attention when she went missing. It was featured on America's Most Wanted, The Montel Williams Show, and The Oprah Winfrey Show, in addition to a slew of local media features. And the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children also put her poster on their website and faxed it to over 12,000 law enforcement agencies. But there were still no answers about what happened to Asia. Exactly one month after she went missing, on March 14th, the Charlotte Observer ran with the headline, quote, Experts say missing girl does not fit their profiles, end quote. In this article by Eileen Soper, she describes how Asia's case has pretty much stunned investigators. They just couldn't figure out why Asia, a polite, seemingly very happy young girl, would willingly pack a bag and leave her home especially when investigators were unable to point to any issues in that home. The director of the North Carolina Center for Missing Persons would tell Soper, quote, She doesn't fit any standard profile of a missing child. I don't think a case like hers has ever happened anywhere, anytime. End quote. I don't have any way of verifying that that statement is true, but either way, it's a very powerful thing to say. Soper also speaks to Ben Ermini, who is the director of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's Missing Children Division, and he tells her, quote, Kids usually don't start running away until age 12. It's an unusual case where a nine-year-old would take off in the middle of the night. End quote. The year before Asia went missing, there were 6,361 children reported missing in North Carolina most of which were runaways, and zero were confirmed to have been taken by strangers. 
but I can verify that most kids who willingly leave do return, which unfortunately would not be the case for Asia. People were trying to work through every possible scenario of what could have happened. Was she possibly groomed and led away by an online predator? The police did speak to sex offenders in the area, but nothing came of it. Some dug deeper into what was going on with Asia at school. A week before she went missing, her class was actually reading the book The Whipping Boy by Sid Fleischman. And in this book, two kids run away and hide in sewer pipes. So some theorize that maybe she tried to reenact this part of the book. Others looked at the family, pointing the finger at Harold, saying that he might have murdered her and put her in a septic tank. And people even wondered if 10-year-old O'Brien was to blame. Cleveland County Sheriff Dan Crawford stated, quote, You eliminate everything you have access to. We have not had a substantial lead since the day she left. It's very frustrating to spend a lot of time and resources in an investigation and not have that good, substantial lead come to you. End quote. And to be fair, it's not like this was Crawford's first rodeo. He actually spent 22 years with the State Bureau of Investigation and worked a ton of cases involving missing children. So although Shelby was a smaller town, it wasn't like what we saw in the yogurt shop murders. This department had seen this before and worked Aisha's case in ways that got them results in other cases. It just wasn't working for Aisha. Crawford would state that he fully believes Aisha was abducted as a crime of opportunity. And like we saw in the yogurt shop murders, his department would partner with the FBI to create a behavioral profile of what this abductor may have been like. But as far as I've seen, they've never released this profile. In March, a small billboard with Aisha's picture and information about her disappearance was put up on Highway 18 near where she was last seen. It would be decorated for Easter, the 4th of July, and on August 5th, Aisha's 10th birthday. Her mother, Aquila, would spend the first half of the day shopping for and decorating this billboard. She would tell the Charlotte Observer, quote, If I get through this day, then I will only have to get through Thanksgiving and Christmas. I want to stay as busy as possible and try not to think about it. If I think about it, I won't be able to get through it. End quote. She would spend the rest of the day helping decorate her cousin's wedding to distract herself from the reality that Aisha was still gone. She reiterated to a local paper that she was hopeful that Aisha was still alive, stating, quote, I'm convinced somebody has her. Maybe it was somebody who didn't have a child, or lost a child, and they took her for that reason. Hopefully they'll see the flyer, or she'll tell them it's her birthday and they'll do something for her, like give her a cake, end quote. Harold Degree spent the day at home, finding it too difficult to spend the day together as a family. At this point, authorities were still receiving leads about Asia, but the next big break in her case wouldn't happen until about a year and a half later. On August 3rd, 2001, about 30 miles north of where Aisha was last seen, construction workers were digging a new access road and found something in the ground wrapped in multiple trash bags. This ended up being Aisha's backpack from the night she went missing. 
When this worker took it out of the trash bags, he discovered that her name and phone number was written on it, so luckily it was easy to pinpoint exactly whose it was. The bag was sent off for testing, but authorities never released the results. Of course, this sparked a huge search of the area where the bag was found, but all they were able to find was some animal bones and a pair of men's khaki pants, which we don't have testing details on either. So it's possible that the pants and the bag could have a set of DNA on it that belonged to the perpetrator, but authorities have not released this information. The years would pass, and Aquila and her family would hold out hope as they saw other children recovered safe throughout the years, like Michelle Knight, Amanda Berry, Gina de Jesus, Elizabeth Smart, J.C. Dugard, Jamie Kloss, Elizabeth Fritzel, and so many more. In the cases I cover, I often talk about the media surrounding them. And although I do believe that Aisha's case got a decent amount of coverage, and I haven't seen anything too outrageous, I did find a quote from Aquila when she spoke to Jet Magazine in 2013 that I wanted to share with you guys, because I think it's important to acknowledge. She said, quote, The local media calls us when a child is found. They want me to comment on it. They want to know how it makes me feel that another mother's child was found as if I would be mad. Why would I begrudge a mama who lost her child and found her? I know the hell that she has been through. End quote. So not only did Aquila see all these other kids being found, but she was often called to comment on it because Aisha hadn't been found. I can't imagine how hard that was for her. She could have said no, but I doubt she would, because whatever comment she would make, would ultimately draw people back to her daughter. The pain, the guilt, the need to keep the story going. I get it. And I just wanted to acknowledge it. The next big lead in the case wouldn't come until 2014, when 52-year-old Donald Preston Ferguson was arrested in South Carolina. He was charged with first-degree murder and first-degree sex offense. This was in relation to the death of Sholanda S. Poole a seven-year-old found dead behind an elementary school in Greensboro in 1990. Authorities stated that they believed that he could have been involved with Aisha's disappearance, but ultimately, the connection was never made, and he was never charged with anything in relation to Aisha. By 2015, Aquila would tell WCNC News in Shelby, quote, We still don't know more than we did 15 years ago. End quote. But, little did she know, there was a big development coming in the case. In 2016, officials in Aisha's case released a tip from the year prior. Someone had come forward and said that they remembered seeing Aisha on Highway 18, and they saw her getting into a car. This car was a green, either 1973 Lincoln Mark IV or a 1973 Ford Thunderbird and it had rust around the wheel wells. There are no details about what time they saw her get into the car, but if they were able to identify the color of the car and see the rust in the wheel wells, I'm guessing that there was some light out as opposed to just headlights. I could see headlights making it easy for you to see the color of the car in front of you, but how did they see those rusty wheel wells in the dark? 
This is why I think it's worth asking the question, was Asia for sure in that shed? Did she really make the trek uphill in the rain across the three-foot goalie to the shed where the dogs who always bark at people didn't bark at her? And then back across this goalie, down the hill, back to the road to have allegedly gotten in this vehicle? And where does this picture of this other little girl who looks like Asia come in? To me, it looks like we could have one perpetrator living in or using this shed to some capacity. They could have been keeping things like this photograph or Aisha's hair bow as a sick keepsake of their crimes in that shed. They could have been there so often that the dogs wouldn't have barked at them when they saw them and possibly Aisha with them. I could be totally wrong. I know I'm really stuck on this shed theory, but unfortunately, from what authorities have released, I do think it's pretty much a guessing game. And around this time, there was all of this renewed interest in the case. Captain Joe Shores from the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, who was now leading the investigation, told the Charlotte Observer, quote, We went back and started the case as if it just happened. A lot of people had to be re-interviewed and evidence gone through with technology that was not around 17 years ago. Just beginning afresh with a whole new set of eyes. End quote. In the year 2018, they again release more information. This time about some of the items found in Asia's backpack. On October 8, 2018, the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office posted the following. Nine-year-old Asia Degree disappeared from her home in Shelby, North Carolina on February 14th of 2000. Since that day, the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation have followed hundreds of leads in an attempt to find her. Now we're asking everybody in the community for help with new possible clues on the case. I'm Detective Jordan Bowen with the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office. Our investigative team has discovered two items of interest that could possibly provide new leads about Aisha's disappearance. The first one is a library book. If you or someone you know had this Dr. Seuss library book around the time of Aisha's disappearance and lost track of it, call us. Library records do not go back to the year 2000. The second item of interest is a t-shirt like this one. It is a concert t-shirt from the New Kids on the Block band. They are a boy band that first became popular in the early 1980s. They are still performing today. If you had a t-shirt like this one, or know somebody who did at any point in time, please call us. The number to reach the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office is 704-484-4822. Again, that number is 704-484-4822. Aisha Degree is Shelby's sweetheart, and we know that everyone in this community wants the same thing when it comes to this case, and that's to find out what happened to her and to bring Aisha home. Remember, there is a reward of up to $45,000 for information that helps find out what happened to Aisha Degree. Thank you, and please help us spread this message on social media by sharing our post. It's important to note here that the shirt, or nightshirt really as it was, more of a sleeping gown, and the library book didn't belong to Aisha. 
but the book did come from Asia's school library. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find any updates as to whether or not anyone came forward to claim these items. But again, because this was Asia's backpack with items most likely belonging to other children in it, it makes me wonder if we have a single repeat offender on our hands. Could these items be linked to the picture of the girl found in the shed? I wish we knew. In the year 2020, for the 20th anniversary of Asia's disappearance, the FBI did a huge media campaign. They released a new aged progress photograph of what she might look like now, as well as some new videos featuring interviews with Asia's parents. That's my prayer every night that God will get into their heart and let them just come forward or somebody that know them come forward because it's got to be a weight on them. We're hoping and we're praying that she's had a halfway decent life anyway, even though we didn't get the razor. She was nine years old and now she'll be 30 this year. So we missed everything, but I don't care if she walked in the door right now. I wouldn't care what I miss. All I want to do is see her. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the end of 2020, there would be another huge development in the case. Inmate Marcus Mellon wrote a letter to the Shelby Star claiming that Aisha was killed, and he knows where to find her, writing, quote, Aisha Degree has been missing for over 20 years. About four months ago, I had found out her whereabouts and what happened to her. She was killed and then took and buried. I do know how and what town she is in. I hope you get this letter and do come see me. It's on the up and up. End quote. 53-year-old Marcus Mellon was convicted of sex crimes against children in 2014 and is currently serving a 14-year prison sentence at the Alexander Correctional Institute. When this letter first arrived, the prison was actually experiencing a COVID-19 outbreak and officials were unable to interview him in person. However, they did eventually speak to him, and unfortunately, it did not lead to the recovery of Asia. Which brings us to today. Even though at this point, it has been 21 years since Asia went missing, investigators aren't giving up. Shelby Lynch from the FBI told WBTV News and Shelby, quote, We are definitely actively investigating this case. We continue to have regular meetings with investigators from the FBI, Cleveland County, and the SBI. We are actively investigating, following leads, generating new ones, conducting interviews, utilizing new advancements in technology that didn't exist before. Asia didn't have a cell phone. There wasn't a computer trail to follow. There were no surveillance cameras on the streets. The technology that we often follow in investigative matters these days didn't exist in 2000. This is why the public is so important. 
someone has information that can help us bring this little girl home and bring closure to her family and the community. End quote. And of course, Aisha's parents aren't giving up either. In February of this year, WBTV News interviewed them to discuss where the case is now and the 21st anniversary. And I think it makes for a perfect call to action. The FBI and Cleveland County Sheriff's detectives are still looking, still following leads, as we learned back in 2018. Behind this door at the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office sits a group of investigators. We're gonna go over the lead sheet. All working to find a little girl frozen in time. Some information on some someone of interest in Lincoln County. This team of local detectives and FBI special agents meets almost weekly to pine over the disappearance of Asia Degree. But so far, nothing. 21 years and counting. Aquila and Harold have pulled themselves out of bed with the same hurt, the same awful, all-enveloping question. What happened to our baby girl, who would now be 30 years old? And here's the thing. Valentine's Day isn't just the anniversary of Aisha's disappearance. It's her mom and dad's wedding anniversary. And as I found out when I met with them in their living room, their rock of a relationship is what keeps them moving forward. You probably would do anything to not mm -hmm. have to do this again on another year. Yes, but we have to, because if we don't do it, why, would any, why should anybody else do it? How do you approach these anniversaries? I mean, how do you, how do you wrap your head around it still? The closer it gets, the harder it gets, and you know you got to deal with the public, and we just appreciate y'all taking time out to come and you know, keep it out there also. A lot of people forget about it. We keep in mind that it's not about us, it's about her. And to keep her name out, keep her story out, because we don't know if Cleveland County or the FBI, if they believe they're looking for remains, we believe our daughter's still alive. So we're expecting a person. I've told them for 21 years, until you bring me 99.9% .9 proof that something remains is hers, I'm not gonna believe it. Our faith is the main reason why we haven't went crazy that we are able to still work, that we are able to do every interview every year, and that the only reason why we've actually even getting through this. Do you think of her like the first thing when you wake up in the morning? Oh yes, first thing you think, uh, wake up, last thing you think of when you close your eyes. And like they always ask me at work, how in the world do you work? I use work as an escape. Try to stay busy, you know, try to do different things. I go to work and I try to just do little stuff on the side. I stay in the yard doing something all the time, just stay busy. This is worse than death, because at least with death, you've got closure. You can go to a grave site, or you can, if you got to earn at home, whatever. And, but for us, we can't mourn, you can't give up. Only thing we got is hope. So, but there's those times, like when they find other children, you be thinking, it, it goes through your mind, why not us? And then, then of course, I don't watch a lot of the news because unfortunately it's a lot of stuff about children. Yeah. And then of course there's those times when another child, another bulletin will come on your phone or whatever, the Amber Alert, another child is taken or another child is missing and you just cringe. Something where you just prefer at this point people don't ask, we'll tell you if there's something to say. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. But 
long as people ask me questions about it, whatever, I know they're thinking about it. So mm -hmm. that's a good thing. They're still looking. That's a good thing. 33 years of marriage coming up. Mm -hmm. You guys on some level have really beaten the odds because most, a lot of times when couples go through <laughs> the kind of stress that you've gone through, it's really hard to stay together. Well, faith in God and then we just, after year one, when we realized, okay, this ain't ending. We was like, if we, we there's no way we could split up. Why would, we don't have the right to put us on somebody else. If it wasn't for him, like he said, I would probably literally be in jail or crazy because I can take so much. We haven't gave up and that if anything, I don't care how small, how minute, if you think it doesn't matter, pick up the phone and just call them. Let them do their job. No matter how this end up, if it doesn't end up the way we think or believe, at least we'll have the closure and the satisfaction of knowing as her parents, we've done everything in our power to help bring our child, to help find our child and to bring her home. The Degree family still holds an annual walk to commemorate Aisha's memory and to raise awareness about her case. And that billboard on Highway 18 that was put up just weeks after Aisha went missing is still there in Shelby, North Carolina today. Aisha Degree was nine years old when she went missing. She would now be 30. She is a black female with black hair and brown eyes. At the time of her disappearance, she was four foot, six inches tall and weighed about 60 pounds. Anyone with information about Aisha is asked to call the FBI at 704-672-6100. Like they mentioned, no tip is too small. And there is a $45,000 reward for information leading to the recovery of Aisha. But as always, thank you. I love you, and I'll talk to you next time. Voices for Justice is hosted and produced by me, Sarah Turney. For more information about the podcast, to suggest a case, to see resources used for this episode, and to find out more about how to help the cases I discuss, visit voicesforjusticepodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the show in your podcast player. It really does help more people find the podcast and these cases in need of justice. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M 
Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.